0: I'm gonna pray like I do at the beginning of every sermon because that's what a pastor does, right? Before he preaches, he prays. But here's what I'd like for you to do with me today. Would you pray for yourselves and for the people next to you and for the people in this room that all of us would go beyond just the regular Sunday stuff today? I don't wanna just have another Sunday with y'all. Let's have the Sunday. Today, like I've, I've seen on coffee cups around the world, today is the first day of the rest of your life. It truly is. Can't do tomorrow or can't do yesterday anymore, It's gone. By God's grace, we'll have tomorrow, and he's given us now. He's given us today, and we want to move forward with him as we fan the flames of our faith in our lives uh, to do the things that God has asked us to do. So would you pray that with me, that today would go beyond an average Sunday and that we would be yielded to him in new and fresh ways? Let's pray that. God, thanks so much for a chance to sing your praises again, a chance to gather again, a chance to open your word again. But, Lord, Lord, we don't want this to just become um, this weekly exercise of ours that we kind of just attend or uh, are a part of and and nothing changes about us. We want to move past where we are now and deeper into what obedience to you looks like. And so show us what that is and then, God, make us not just hearers of your word but doers of your word. Lead us into the changes you want us to make, God, I pray. Uh, Help us to hear you, follow you, obey you, Get me out of the way so that that can happen, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me for the reading of God's words. Let's read what Paul wrote to Timothy in the opening of this second letter of his to his friend who's a pastor in a place called Ephesus. This is what Paul says. He says, read it with me, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and of self-control. May God bless the reading of his words. Have a seat. We've been doing a, a series here since the beginning of, this, uh, uh, of the year, I guess, January, uh, on reminders, on things that we just need to remember. Most of the, the sermons I preach to you, if you've been in church for a long time, that's all they are, reminders. I'm not mining new territory. Hopefully there's new things that you haven't heard before, but most of what I'm saying to you are things that uh, uh, you've heard at some point in your Christian existence, uh, and, and just need to be reminded of. We talked about making good choices. Everybody needs to remember to make good choices every day. That's still a reminder on my calendar. It uh, comes up on my phone at 7 o'clock every morning. And uh, by God's grace, it's helped me, make, uh, helped me make some good choices as a result. But making good choices, standing up to fear, we talked about that. We talked about uh, going forward and uh, being willing uh, to meet God and in, in the things that he's doing with us as a church we talked about being grateful and waking up every day to the things that God has done for us rather than focusing on the things that haven't happened yet. Last week we talked about uh, remembering to push send, that we're the sent ones. And just like we go to Village of Hope in Uganda and other places around the world, just like we go to the, the people in our community and our schools and our jobs and our neighborhoods, uh, we are the sent ones. We have picked up the baton. It's the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples. When he uh, resurrects and, and meets them in that room uh, where they all see him for the first time, he says, Hey, as my father has sent me, so send I you. Talk a lot in this church about being disciples, about making disciples. I want to kind of turn our focus to that as we get yet another reminder on, on how to live this life with Christ. It's pretty important that we understand what a disciple is. A lot of times when we talk about making disciples, people immediately kind of default to converts. And that's part of discipleship, certainly. We have to go and share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus so that they, like us, can meet Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, and begin their follow. But discipleship doesn't stop there. Discipleship is meant to go beyond the infant stages of faith. and It's meant to uh, pursue a person in their faith and, and, and walk beside them and alongside them as they grow in their faith. I... Uh... I like to think of discipleship as this, this basically pouring in and pouring out of self. So so you guys are, are with me in life, we're linking arms, we're following Jesus, and God is using many of you to pour into my life, and I trust and I pray that God is using me in my times as speaking you to pour into your life. It's like we just keep passing the water back and forth between our glasses. But it's not just us, and it's not like we're left empty once we pass on ourselves. It's like the Holy Spirit works through the whole church. Like Has anybody seen one of these champagne glass towers at like a... Uh, you know, a big celebration, a wedding or something like that. They basically stack up all these champagne glasses in a pyramid. Has anybody seen this? And then they just have a huge, I don't know, pipe of whatever uh, coming into the top uh, champagne glass, and it just trickles down to all the rest of them. It's very pretty. Has anybody seen this? Yeah, that's discipleship. The Holy Spirit pours into each one of us, and we pour out what he's poured into us and each other, and it just keeps trickling. We just keep giving as God allows, but some of us, we, we go all Jenga with that champagne tower, and we pull ourselves out of it. We say, you know, I'm not going to be used in discipling someone uh, in life. I'm, I'm going to just kind of have my faith, and, and even then, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Is discipleship ever uh, not happening in our lives? Here's, here's the truth. You're always discipling someone because you look in the mirror. You're always, you know, you're either moving the ball forward in your own personal relationship with Christ, or you're not and then let's also uh, be honest, you're always discipling someone whether it's for the good or the bad because even if you're not intentionally meeting with someone, you're rubbing off on other people just by the sheer fact that you're a Christian and they're a Christian and they're watching you and learning about Christianity and about their faith from how you live yours. Isn't that crazy? You have to sign up for a class or be in an organized, uh, you know, intentional relationship to be a or You just are by the sheer fact that if you're a Christian, you wake up every day and you make choices about your discipleship and your choices impact those around you and theirs. And we gotta make sure we get this discipleship thing right. And so every week we get together and I try to lead us further into what it is to make disciples around here. And uh, it's so important that we get this right because we wanna make the right kind of disciples. We wanna be the right kind of disciples. We're learning this anew in my house because uh, as I wrote uh, many of you in an email this week, we got some some new additions. Uh, This is uh, Thor and Loki I call this the schnauzer sandwich. There it is. I make it every morning. I grab these boys, and uh, they lick my face until I leave. Uh, they're great now. They got into our house on Tuesday. They weren't great then, and there are still certain members of our house that uh, they're not great with even today. Uh, they, they still want to kill Cooper every time they see him. Uh, we're sorting that out. Uh, we had a dog for almost 15 years uh, previous to these guys. And, uh, and, and here's what I'm learning about that experience. I didn't do a very good job as a dog owner. Some of you guys are like dog whisperers. You guys got it figured out, you know what to do. Uh, you have the animals all your life. Uh, I just kind of came home one day and, and Eleanor had picked up a free dog from someone in our church. And I was just like, okay, it lives here now, I guess. And, and, uh, and we didn't do a whole lot to train it. In fact, we just kind of piggybacked on all the things that the people who had had it before us did. And uh, that was the extent of our involvement with these dogs. I'm gonna train these suckers. We're going to work these dogs, right? Already are. And I've learned things already. Did you know? I didn't know this. Did you know if you yell at a dog when he's barking, it's not solving the problem? I didn't know that. I thought I just had to be louder. No, it's just making them more agitated. And there's different ways that you could coach them out of being nervous and agitated. Anyway, that's dogs. (laughs) Let's go back to disciples, shall we? There's certain ways that we should go about discipling ourselves and discipling each other. There's things that God hopes for us and ways and paths that we should walk. And so what we want to do today as we walk through these verses that Paul wrote to Timothy, is so we want to answer this question. Must, what must I remember in making disciples? How do I make a better disciple of myself? And how am I used of God to make this, uh, better disciples of those around me? Five things. Everybody hold up five, five fingers. Give me five fingers. Here we go. Just five things. Here we go. The first one is this. I've got to remember to pray constantly for other disciples around me. Prayer, prayer pops in almost every one of Paul's letters, especially early on. Is He's, he's kind of opening up and talking to whoever he's talking to, whether it's a church or a, a guy like Timothy here. He tells them, hey man, I've been, I've been praying for you. Been praying for you. Been talking to God about you. He says as much here uh, in his letter to Timothy. He says, I thank God uh, whom I serve as, I did, uh, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. All that's basically saying is, listen, even when I was Jewish and not Christian, uh, just like my ancestors uh, who took God seriously. I have always served God seriously, before my conversion and after my conversion. If you read the description of uh, Saul or Paul in, uh, in, in the Philippians, it talks about I was a Jew of Jews, I was a Pharisee, I was serious about what I was doing. That's all he's talking about. He's like, I've always been 100% in, in following God. But in between that statement, he says, I thank God, whom I serve, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. He did two things, he he thanked God for Timothy, we're gonna see in the next verse, he's very fond of this guy. Uh, He and this apprentice of his have gone way beyond just co-ministers, they're they're friends, they're yoked in life, They're, they're united in their hearts for each other. So he thanks God for the presence of Timothy in his life. He prays for him constantly, day and night. He does so because He wants to keep gratitude at the forefront of his mind. Does everybody know where Paul is when he's writing this? He's in prison. He's late in his prison process. He's a couple years, probably three or four years into being incarcerated. Uh, We know he's in a a very uncomfortable place because later in the book of Timothy, or the second letter to Timothy, uh, he actually tells Tim, come on, man, you gotta get here soon. I don't know how much longer I'm gonna last. The way he says it in, uh, chapter four, verse eight, is he says, uh, the time of my departure has come. He says, you gotta get here soon. And then he says this, he says, bring me a coat. It's right in there. It is, it's just like this, you know, like you and I saying, hey, honey, don't forget to get the eggs. He says, when you come, bring me a coat. It's freezing up in this prison. He's in a miserable place. He's incarcerated. He's sickly. He has no hope. And so you know what he fills his day with? He just stands there and murmur, 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 and mumbles and complains and yells at the guards and, and uh, you, know, just, you know, uh, wishes he'd never gotten involved. I wish I hadn't looked at the bright light on the Damascus road. This would have never happened, right? Is that what he does? No. He fills his time with other things. He witnesses to guards that he's strapped to. That's what Philippians tells us. And then he spends all of his time praying. Now listen, in another sermon about prayer, I'll talk about the effects of prayer for those prayed for. Does everybody believe that there's power in prayer? And when we pray for other people, God hears those prayers and he acts on those prayers. Not always exactly like we like, but but we know that there's something happening in our conversations with God that affect the outcomes of people's lives. But today I want to talk about the power of prayer in the prayer's life. Paul, sitting in prison, Certainly had choices with what he could do with his day, but he chooses to day and night thank God for Timothy and to pray to God on Timothy's behalf. You know, prayer is this incredible thing in the life of someone who's becoming a disciple. Incredible thing because it, it helps us grow and go further in our dependence on God. Three things. First of all, prayer keeps us square with God. Um, it is almost impossible not to be focused on God when you're praying to God. Now it's happened. Who's ever been in that prayer meeting where you're like praying and like, I wonder what the score is? Anybody ever done that? All right. But if you start actually conversing with God, not just listening to someone else pray to God, but you start conversing with God, it's really hard to be, uh, you know, focused on something else, and it squares you up with Him. And listen, I, 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 I dare you, challenge you to start praying more and see what it does for your faith, your belief, and your relationship with God. It's just like any other relationship. If anybody's married here, if anybody's, you know, got kids, or if anybody's got friends that they've kind of been separated from, it's just, you know, it's just relationship math. You spend more time with each other, positive time, (laughs) but you spend more time with each other, you're going to grow in that relationship. If Eleanor and I are struggling in our marriage, it's probably because we're really busy right now. There's lots of things going on. There's people staying here in the, you know, at our house or there's new dogs, yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on and we just haven't had the normal rhythms of our relationship uh, to benefit from. But you let us go away like we just recently had a chance to for our anniversary for four or five days, I tell you what, we come back tanks full. We've been reminded of what we have in each other and God's grace to us through each other. and We've had time to talk, no screens, right? We're just kind of there, and all of a sudden, it's this incredible thing. Same thing happens in prayer. You spend time with God, you get square with him. You get close to him. You spend time with God in prayer, you're reminded that he's God and you're not. Has anybody ever read one of the lament psalms? David wrote these, they're called lament psalms, and they're in the book of Psalms, Psalm 46, there's other ones, but they they start basically with David's complaints. It's like the complaint box just got spilled out and, uh, and David's just kinda saying, God, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm supposed to be the anointed king of Israel, I'm running for my life, I'm sleeping in caves, there's no bathrooms, you know, it's just, he's, uh, he doesn't really say the bathroom part. But, uh, but he's just lamenting all over the place, it stinks, it stinks, it stinks, five, six, ten verses of that, and then every lament psalm turns. Because once he got all this stuff off his chest, it's like the light bulb went on in his head, wait a minute, still alive. God's still on his throne, might not be working out like I thought it would, but apparently God knows better. And the tone of the psalm immediately changes and he says stuff like this, but you, you are my refuge. You are my strength, you're my tower that I can run to. I have nothing to fear because you are with me. Yeah, you pray long enough and here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna remember, he's God, I'm not. He's in control, I'm not. Prayer does that for us. The third thing that prayer does for us is it it, it distracts us in a good way, not in a denial way, but it distracts us from the things that are going on. Sure, Paul could spend his days focusing on prison. Sure, Paul could spend his days on the injustices that were being wrought on him in life. But here's what he decided to do. You know what? That's wasted calories. That's wasted time. Can't change it. Let me leverage what God's given me and let me pray instead. Prayer's a distraction, a blessed distraction. Your uh, loved one goes in the hospital, what do you do? You pray, you pray so that they'll be better, you pray that they'll be well, but you know what your prayers are doing as well? They're hopefully moving you away from the fear and the angst of that situation and into the peace and the hope that comes from a God who hears you. Are you with me? So prayer does. I'm learning about these dogs the best way to get a dog used to someone who's in a room that they don't want there is just distract them from the person altogether. Don't yell at them, you're just adding to the fire. But just grab them. Here's what I do. One of our dogs, they're Thor and Loki, and Loki's the really nervous one. So Loki's the one that just needs some extra time. So I grab Loki, and we go half or sandwich on him, right? And I got him up here, and I'm like, hey, buddy, it's okay. And He's growling in my ear, and he's trying to crane around to see who's up, you know. And I'm like, bro, right here, you and me, you and me, buddy. It's all fine. He's not going to do anything. He lives here. He was here a long time before you were. It's all good. And eventually, here's what happens. That dog calms down. Now, I'm not, I don't want to go too far with the dog comparisons. We're not dogs. But this one works because prayer has that effect on us. It draws us into our confidence in a God who is able. And it distracts us from the things that would lead us in fear. You want to make better disciples of yourself and those around? Remember to pray. Pray for them, but remember that prayer changes you. Secondly, remember to connect deeply with other disciples. Look what Paul says in in verse four of 2 Timothy chapter one. He says, I remember. I remember your tears, and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I don't know what Tim was crying about. We know from both letters that Tim was probably pretty sickly. In the first letter, Paul tells him to take a little wine because your stomach's got got a tummy ache. Um, we know that he was fearful, right? Paul says, to him, "Hey, don't let them look down on you because you're young, but you know, set examples for them." Uh, uh, d- d- in chapter one of Paul's first letter to him, he says, "Hey, you need to stay there, stick around, Tim. Don't be tapping out on this deal." Tim's got all kinds of emotional issues, and apparently, uh, here's what I'm thinking: I think the last time Paul left, Timothy just you just couldn't handle it. Don't go, Paul. Please stay. Don't leave me with these people, right? Whatever it is, Paul's remembering his tears. He's, he's emotionally connecting with his brother and the pains that are in his life. He says, you know what, man? I'm sitting here in prison. You know what? I would just make my day. I long to see you. I would love to see you. I hope you come and see me. That's going to come later in the letter. Because if I can just see you, my heart will be filled with joy. I pray everybody in here has some people in their life that that, that describes your, your vision of them, your you're seeing them. When they, when they enter in the room, your heart fills with joy. Ever seen those pictures of you know little girls whose dads have been deployed You know, and they're throwing out the first pitch at the Rays game, their dad's in the catcher gear and he pops his head off and, and the girl just starts crying and runs to her daddy and throws her arms around his neck because she's missed him and she loves him and just the, just the very sight of that one that she loves brings her joy. That's how Paul feels about Tim. Paul was Timothy's boss. He didn't have to have these friendship, relationship type things. He just you know, could've pulled the uh, boss card and been like, hey, I'm the apostle, stay in there. But he doesn't do that. Because he understands this, everybody listen to me. He understands that discipleship is t- two parts. It's the intentionality of you teaching another person about following Jesus. It's the intentionality of you as a parent raising up your child in the way that they should go. It's the intentionality of us divulging and, and dispensing uh, you know, the truth that, that, that we need to live by. That's certainly part of the discipleship process, but <laughs> it's best served on a plate of intimacy, of friendship, of relationship. I mean, I could stand up here and tell you guys and yell at you guys. In fact, some of us grew up in those churches, Right? where the guy was on the stage and he was just screaming as to, you know, knock it off and stop sinning, and if you don't, you're going to go to hell in a handbasket twice. I don't know, whatever. But I would much rather tell you, hey, church, look at me. I love you guys. I really do. I love every one of you. Some of you, I don't even know you. But I can tell you with all my heart, I love you. And I want what's best for you. And I don't mean that. Just because it's the superlatives I'm supposed to throw at your pastor, I want everybody in here to have the very best life that God could give them. And so I teach you, not out of anger or angst or authority, I teach you, I pray every time I get up here, out of love. I want what's best for you. I want you to have the hope that is in Christ in your life. And it's in that kind of context that true discipleship flourishes, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, and he said this in his letter to them, he says, he says, "For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, because God is our witness. We didn't come so that we could rip you off." He also says this. He says, and we did not seek glory from you or from your people because whether you are from others, we, we could have made our demands as apostles of Christ, I guess, but we, we never, we, listen, we never came for what we could get from you, whether it was money or fame or prestige. It wasn't about that. He says, but instead, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a metaphor. Did Everybody pick up what just Paul, Paul just threw down there? He's like, I cared for you Thessalonians like a mom cares for a baby. Can anybody think of a stronger bond in existence than a mother and her infant? I mean, when they get up get, you know, get older and get kind of honorary. I mean, maybe it starts to dwindle a little, but that little, <laughs> that little precious baby is helpless. And without the mom, there's just, there's just no hope for it to survive and that's how Paul came to this church. He says, man, I, I looked at every one of you like one of our kids, like one of our babies. He goes on and he says this, so being affectionately desirous of you, that's how he verbally clarifies this whole mom-nurture-baby thing. He says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but get this, also our own selves. Went way beyond the words, way beyond the teachings, way beyond the doctrine. We gave you us because you had become very dear to us. You know, I think about uh, the people in my life that God has used to move me forward in my discipleship, they're the people that love me and the people that I love. Don't get me wrong, perfect strangers have said things that hit me in the forehead too, right? I mean, God, God uses all kinds of things, but but if I look back to the ones that God used the most, they're the ones who loved me the most and the ones who I loved the most in return. People like my mom, people like my, my pastor Pete in uh, Dallas, uh, who for nine years just... Wore me out in good ways. challenged me. But every time he talked to me, he did it because he loved me, not because he needed a better youth pastor. He did it because he cared. As you and I go about this disciple-making process, let's remember to connect deeply with other disciples. Ask yourself today, who are are the ones that maybe you've been out of touch with that you need to reconnect with? Who are the ones that you've been um, (laughs) challenged with because... Uh, your relationships with them have gone through rocky times. Remember that discipleship happens best in the context of intimacy and seek to restore so that you can disciple. Third thing is this. Remember to stay anchored in sincere faith. Paul says this. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother uh, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Sincere there is uh, the, the Greek word anahupokritos, What's hupocrito sound like? Hypocrite, right? And honor just means without. So it, it's a, a without hypocrisy faith. You're, you're, not, you're not doing this for show. I'm so grateful that we live in an age where no Christians are doing the Christian thing for show. Oh, it's so great to be a part of a world where no one is coming into church and trying to look good for everybody else. It's, isn't that great? Are you picking up my sarcasm? Yeah, it's so easy for us to just kind of, you know, try to get the best of show badge every time we come into church, you know? Uh, Dog shows, uh, dogs are on my mind. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but it's so easy for us to put on a mask and put on airs, but here's what Paul commends uh, Timothy with. He says, hey man, listen, I'm gonna challenge you with some stuff, but I wanna go back to bedrock, foundation faith in you, and I, I I wanna draw out the fact that I know that your faith is not a poser faith. I know that inside of you is the same faith, the authentic faith, that was inside your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. I know that you know that this stuff is real. I was reading in my quiet time this morning before I came out in the book of uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1. Uh, Peter's commending his readers, and he's saying, listen, man, though you have never seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. Though you have never seen him, you love him. That's what Paul says to Tim. Listen, man, I know it's hard. I know you got questions. (laughs) You don't have to put up your hands. Has anybody here as a Christian ever had questions? There's a couple of them out there, right? And I don't know about you, when you get to your questions and you don't have answers, is that frustrating? And some of us, listen, uh, we're we're going through this in our family with with our our son Ben and just others that we know and love. Some people, when they get to their questions, they tap out, they're done. They take a break. They use it as an excuse not to believe anymore. Here's what God's saying through Paul to Timothy and to us. He says, listen, man, when you get to those questions, can you just say, I choose faith even though I don't know. I choose to believe. My faith is sincere. It's not just a poser faith. It's not just a Sunday faith. It is a life faith that the rest of my existence is built upon. Jesus talked about this. He, he did this whole sermon on the mountain, Je- uh, Matthew's uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. He gets to the end there and he says, listen, whoever hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Anybody heard that one? Now, that was one of my first memories of church. I grew up going to church because my dad was a pastor. And so uh, one of the first songs I learned with the little kids, a wise man builds his house upon the rock. I don't know what this is how they build houses back then, I guess. They just pound their fists. And the rains come down and the floods come up. The rains come down. And the, but the house on the rock stood firm. Yeah. My first Christian memory was singing that song in some little classroom in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. I'm glad it's my first Christian memory because that's the most important Christian truth is that (laughs) the discipled life is built on a sincere faith. It's built on this rock. That's what that song Ebenezer that we were saying. Who who, who sang that song Ebenezer? I'm like, what's an Ebenezer? Isn't that the guy with the head, headless horseman guy? Isn't that him? Anybody know what an Ebenezer is? It's from 1 Samuel. Ebenezer is basically a rock of hope or a rock of strength. And Samuel dubs this place of, of, of ceremony his Ebenezer, his, his rescue, his respite, his, his, his foundation for everything else that he does. So when we sing about our Ebenezer, we're, think, we're singing about a sincere faith, a rock-solid, firm faith. If we're going to be the disciples that we're called to be, that's going to need to be what our faith is. And So how do we, how do we get to this sincere faith? Paul well, counting on the sincere faith tells Timothy to remember to stoke the fire of his faith, and we need to do that too. Every day that we wake up, we need to work them coals, fan that flame, remember this faith that we have, and let it be the thing that leads us through life. It says in verse 6 of this passage that Paul writes to Timothy For this reason, that you have a sincere faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The gift of God, the charisma of God here is probably his his ordination, his his leadership gift that he's supposed to be using as a pastor there in Ephesus. He had a hard time, as we've already gone over, uh, leading in this church. But Paul says, man, based on the fact that you've got this sincere, unshakable, on-the-rock faith in Jesus, Here's what I need you to do, bro. I need you to get pumping again. I need this fire to, to, to just grow and, and to emanate from you. I need you to uh, be uh, full on in the expressions of what God has made you to be. We could apply that to our faith. Here's what I know about fire. Fires dwindle. Anybody notice that? It's, they kind of, you know, they, they start uh, bright. Like, uh, here we go. ha. <laughs> You get the gas going in this thing. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I could do some plumbing, I think. Is that what this is? Yeah, it's a plumber's torch. I could do some plumbing now, apparently. But then, as this tank starts to run out, this flame will start dimming as well. And this is kind of our spiritual life. We come to Christ. Woo! But then, we kind of get used to being Christian. It just becomes a part of who we are. Then we go to men's retreat. Woo! And then we come back and we still fight with our wives. Our kids are still our kids. (laughs) And this is kind of how it goes. It's just a fact of our Christian existence. But here's what we get the chance to uh, your opportunity to do every morning that we wake up oh wrong way we get to burn bright it's our choice just like paul says to timothy hey, hey tim it's your choice fan in the flame your faith this gift that you've been given now when i'm messing with fires that can go out i got two weapons against that happening uh, one is the stick that I told my kids not to burn. I got those kids who just want to burn everything. I'm like, no, keep that out. That's that's important because when this sucker gets low, here's what I'm going to do with everything that's already burned. I'm going to take this stick in there and I'm going to move those coals around. As we throw more logs on there, we're not going to have to start another fire. We just got to we just got to move some things around. Now, if you're kind of stale in your faith right now, if things are kind of slow, you might need to change some stuff up in your life. You might need to get involved in in things that would spark and and and, uh, uh, you know, pour some gas on your spiritual fire. Get in those life groups, get in those discipleship relationships. Start listening, this is what I do. I start listening to Christian music more. Sports are fine, they're not evil. I like hearing sports stuff. But if I'm feeling my faith going down, I'll turn it over to one of the Christian music stations and worship. Because that's how you stoke the flames, you get the, the coals going the other thing that uh, we do, we use cardboard to start our fires in our fire pit. Does anybody else do that? And so they'll want, you know, my kids will be like, burn, 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 fire. <laughs> but uh, I'll be like, hey, just leave me a flap. Just leave me one thing, because what's what's this going to be? As you're getting this thing going, the thing it needs most is air, because that's what makes it burn, right? Who's the air in your spiritual life? What's the 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 air-giving things that that move you forward in your faith, that remind you of the joy of your salvation. Certainly there's environments where it's harder to get a fire lit and stay lit. There's going to be times in your life where things are hard. Um, But listen, if a fire's going to keep going, we've got to pay attention to it. We've got to make choices, and that's where we come to this last thing as we close. We've got to make choices. One of the first choices and most important choices we have to make is to remember what we're made of. Here's what Paul says to Timothy as he closes his opening here in this letter. He says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self control. Who's heard this verse before? It's probably the most famous verse here in this second letter to uh, Timothy from Paul. Uh, it describes us, it describes what we're made of. That word spirit there is not capitalized in the English Standard Version. In the other versions, though, it's capitalized. And when you capitalize the word spirit, who are we talking about? The Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and you could translate it this way, but regardless, if it's, if it's just our, our spiritual nature because of Christ's presence in us, or if it's the Holy Spirit himself, here's what we have in the spirit. We don't have fear. We have not been conditioned spiritually to have fear. If you're fearful, it's not because your spiritual side of you, the Holy Spirit or the Christ side of you is fearful, it's because your flesh is fearful. It's because you've kind of leaned back into your old man and been like, "Oh, scary, because in us is a spirit that is not marked by fear. Instead, it is marked by, what are the things? Power, dunamis, from whence we get dynamite. It's marked by love, agape, God's kind of love, unconditional love, love that overcomes any obstacle and continues to love. And this last word, self-control, it's actually a compound Greek word that means wise head. <laughs> what a great word for self-control. You got a wise head. You have the ability to discern and distinguish the things that you need to do. Now, can we talk about this verse just briefly before we close? We're going to. Power is the Holy Spirit's thing, right? You and I got power? Maybe a little bit. You might think you have more power than you do. But ultimately, are we powerful in and of ourselves? No. The power resides with the Holy Spirit. So the power part, that's the Spirit's to give us. The choice part in those three things that mark us as followers and disciples of Jesus is the love part and the self-control. Those are choices that you and I can make. You, listen, you want to invoke the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Choose love. You want to in, 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 in see the, the power of the Holy Spirit change your life? Choose self-control. Those are the things that we could do to bring about the power that is in us because of the Spirit's presence. In who we are, and it comes down to that thing I talked to you about when we were praying—choice. <coughs> I was—I uh, got smacked in the face this week at a conference I went to. Can I? I'm going to share. I'm not going to. I'm going to quit asking permission. I'm just going to talk to you. <coughs> the, 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 i don't know who, what his name was. He was a, a, a gentleman from India. He got up and he said, um, ch- "Churches have been f- falling short in disciple making for years because they have." taught themselves or convinced themselves that disciple making is a dissemination of information it's making sure that people know and as long as i get up here and preach to you and you know what the doctrines of the church are and what the bible says and and you can explain you know the fruit of the spirit and what they are as long as you know things i've done my job as your disciple and and he said fellas and ladies it's just not it because what did Jesus say? He said to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Now, we're great as, as pastors and disciplers and as parents in teaching all that God has commanded, but that's, that's a half sandwich. The, the, the true discipleship of a church or of an individual happens When that person learns to obey, Jesus says this, "Um, you want to show me that you love me? Obey my commandments, right? It's obedience to be not just hearers of the word, but doers, obedience. So here's where the the smack came. He says, hey, (laughs) you tell me that you're a disciple based on what you know, I'll ask you, how much do you obey of what you know? You tell me you're a preacher who disciples his church? I'll ask you, how much does your people, how much does your people obey about what they know? Oh, I got nervous there. (laughs) Because I don't know. I yell at you every week. You come in here, we talk. But as soon as you're out the door, I got no clue as to whether or not you obey the things that I've taught you about what Jesus commands. So let's, let's pray a risky prayer as we close. Can we do this? Don't, bow, don't look at me. Don't bow your heads yet. Church happens every week. I pray this isn't another week. I pray this is the week where you and I decide, just like Paul was imploring Timothy to, to choose not to fear but to invoke power through love and self-discipline, to choose to build on this sincere faith that we've been given, and to move forward in our obedience to Christ. I want you to pray a risky prayer. I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, if there be any part of me that is not submitted to you, if there be anything in me that is not obedient to you, would you convict, convict me of that, and then would you lead me to the change that needs to happen now? Because here's the other thing that happens a lot of times in churches, is that the pastor gets to this last part and we all pray, Lord, change me, and we don't have any sense of time or when that's gonna happen. Just eventually, before I die, change something somewhere. Thank you, Lord, amen. No, we're changing today. We're making hard phone calls this afternoon. We're throwing out whatever's holding us back in our faith in Jesus Christ. When we get home, we're saying sorries. We're understanding that it's not just enough to know We must obey, and that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. May God know that we as a church took him seriously, that we didn't just learn a bunch of facts, we followed and did as he commanded. So I want you to pray that risky prayer with me. It's a scary one, because you're gonna have to change. Everybody in here has something they need to obey God in. So let's pray it together. Here we go. You pray with me. Lord, here's my hope. I didn't want this just to be another download, another information dump. I wanted this to be a time where um, you, uh, God, convict us of our need to obey. Not just to know, but to obey. And so lead us, Lord, into more meaningful lives of prayer like we talked about. Lead us, God, to um, be desirous of everything intimacy in our relationships with each other. Lead us, Lord, uh, to build our lives on a sincere faith, to fan into flame the things that you've given us. God, give us your grace and your strength to choose love and self-discipline so that your power is manifest in us. But God, here's my final prayer. My prayer is that there be, if there be any wicked way in me that you would identify it for me and that I would not just say, yep, yeah, no, that's true, I need to change that. I pray that you'd give me the courage to change that today. And I pray that you'd lead all of us to whatever those things are so that we can be truly surrendered, fully surrendered to you so that we can be the disciples you want us to be. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now go and obey. God bless you as you do. Love you. Have a good week.